The scripture reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you here this morning. The past several weeks, we have been going through the Beatitudes, this list of people that God blesses that you just heard read to you. And everyone in our world wants to be blessed. If you're on social media, hashtag blessed is a a common post that people will make. I did a search this week to see what types of things qualify as amazing enough that you can post about them on social media with hashtag blessed. (laughs) That's one of them. Yes, beautiful views on the holiday. Any others? Wedding anniversaries was a big one. 15 years with my wonderful husband or wife, hashtag blessed. (laughs) Others are hashtag blessed to have such wonderful friends and family around them as they celebrate big events like birthdays. Everyone in our world wants to be blessed. And it's not just on social media. Like outside of social media, people in our world do things every day to pursue blessings. You look at our students. They go to school all day. And then they come home and they spend hours doing homework and going to tutoring lessons. Why? Because they want to be hashtag blessed by having an amazing university accept them. You look at adults in our world, we go and we work crazy long hours at super stressful jobs. Why? So we can be hashtag blessed with a great paycheck. We hire personal trainers and go through extreme workout plans and diets so we can be hashtag blessed with a great beach bod. On one level or other, everyone in our world wants to be blessed. We want blessings and we're willing to make sacrifices in order to get those blessings in our lives and make them ours. And then in walks Jesus, and he's been telling us the past few weeks that the path to true blessing looks totally different than what our world says it looks like. His way of living is shocking to us. Our world says that blessings come from wealth and having lots of money. And Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Our world says we're blessed when we're happy and have everything going our way, and Jesus says, Blessed are those who mourn. Our world says, blessed are those who have great accomplishments that they can show off to the world so everyone knows how great they are. Jesus says, blessed are the meek. His way of living feels totally upside down to us. And Jesus says, this is the way to live if you want true blessing in life. 
And if you don't have this, when you see people who do have it, we're supposed to envy them. That's what blessed means here. It means that they live the enviable lifestyle, the lifestyle that any of us, if we really understood the world, should want to live. And today, Jesus is going to introduce us to another shocking ingredient in that blessed life, being pure in heart. And what we're going to see today is, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And we'll see a loaded statement, what a pure heart is and isn't, becoming pure in heart, and then the promise to the pure in heart. But first, let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word that teaches us who you are and how you call us to live. God, we thank you that you are good, that your heart towards us is compassionate and loving, that you want us to have good lives, blessed lives, and that you care enough about us to to save us from the wrong paths we go down to get those. And I pray that today you'd be giving us greater clarity and understanding of how you call us to live, how that really is the best way to live, and that you'd be giving us a desire to live that way. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And when he said that, the words that he spoke carried a lot of baggage in his culture. See, in the Old Testament, there were lots of laws given to the nation of Israel about things that are clean and unclean. Now, clean and unclean doesn't necessarily mean like sinful versus not sinful. There were many everyday things in everyday life that were not sinful at all that made you unclean. So just as an example, if a woman was on her period, she was unclean. That's not a sinful thing to be on your period, but... Basically, the clean and unclean laws, if there was bodily fluids coming out of you, you were considered unclean. And so a woman on her period was unclean. And if someone slept in the same bed as her while she was on her period, they became unclean. So if, if you're married and the wife starts her period in the middle of the night, when she wakes up in the morning, the husband's unclean too. And again, not a sinful thing to be unclean, but it, it meant that you couldn't come into God's presence. You couldn't go to the temple to worship God if you were unclean, which is a big deal because that's where God's presence lived in the middle of his people. If you couldn't go into the temple, you couldn't be with God. You were defiled is the language the Old Testament uses. And to bring your defilement into the temple is dishonoring to God. So if you were a man, and you were planning to make a sacrifice at the temple, and you woke up in the morning, the day of your sacrifice, and your wife had started her period the night before, you could not go make your sacrifice today because you were unclean. And before you could go make your sacrifice, you had to become clean. And there was a process for becoming clean. So for the man in this instance, he would have to wait a full day. He would have to take a bath or a shower, like wash himself with water. That night, He would have to avoid touching his wife. He would have to sleep in a different bed. And then the next morning, he would be clean. He could go take his sacrifice to the temple. He could go be with God. It was an elaborate and sometimes annoying process. But throughout the Old Testament, Israel again and again and again rebelled against God. They refused to live by his way of living. And eventually, God sent them into captivity as slaves in a foreign nation because of it. And then they learned their lesson. 
they figured out God is serious about us keeping his law. He really wants us to obey him. And so when they came back from that slavery, guess what they did? They became very serious about keeping God's laws. Like, very serious. They said, here is God's law. We really, really, really don't want to break that. So we're going to make extra laws to protect ourselves from it. So that even if we break these laws, we still haven't broken God's law. And there was almost this policing system to make sure everyone was staying clean. Everyone was following the rules. And when you have such an intense system, you need enforcers. You need people who can come and, and be the judge and jury and say, yes, you're right, or no, you're wrong. And of course, that arose in Israel. It was this group called the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the, the lawyers and the, the legal people of their day who studied the Old Testament law. And they studied all the teaching that had been added on to that law over the years so that they could teach everyone else how to follow it. And when you're in that role of being the lawyer and the judge and the jury all rolled into one, you better make sure you're keeping the law perfectly yourself, right? How would it look if, if you were breaking the law terribly while teaching everyone else to do it? So this belief arose in Israel that the Pharisees and the religious leaders of their day were on a different level of cleanness than everyone else. They were super clean. Yet you as a normal Israelite might be clean, you might be unclean, but the Pharisees, they were the super clean ones. They were the, the spiritual superheroes of their day. They believed they were on such a different level than everyone else that if you were a normal Israelite, certain types of interactions with you, even if you were clean, even if you were all good, the Pharisees believed they could become unclean by having certain wrong types of interactions with you. Like if you set your coat on a chair and you were clean, fine, everything's good, and a Pharisee sat on it, they'd be like, uh-oh, I've just lost some of my cleanliness because you're not at the same level of cleanliness as I am. And so in the world of Jesus' day, this idea of, of being clean, of having a group of people who are the moral police in society, who live at a different level of cleanliness than everyone else, was a daily reality to the people there. And when the Old Testament was translated into Greek, guess what word they used to translate this idea of clean? The same exact word that Jesus uses here in this verse for pure. So when Jesus' original audience heard, blessed are the pure, or blessed are the clean, that's another way you could translate this, that is a loaded statement because they had a picture in their minds of what it meant to be clean. To be clean is to be like the Pharisees they'd be instantly reminded that if they really wanted to be clean, if they really wanted to be able to go into God's presence anytime, got to level up your spirituality. And that's extra, that's bad news for all of them. It's extra bad news for all of us because guess what? According to the Jewish teaching of their day, if you were a Gentile, a non-Jew, which I believe is everyone in this room, you were just automatically unclean from the moment you were born until the moment you died. There was nothing you could do to become clean short of becoming an Israelite. And so this is a loaded statement. The people carried a lot of baggage in relation to the words that Jesus is using here. They would have had pictures in their minds when they heard what he was saying that would have made them wonder, like, is this even possible? 
But then Jesus goes on. He doesn't just say, blessed are the pure. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, which on one level changes everything because he's not just looking at who fits under a certain category in the Old Testament law. He's looking for something else, the pure in heart. And of course, the Pharisees and the religious system of that day had no way of measuring people's hearts or what's going on inside. They could only look at the outside. So if we really want to understand what Jesus is saying here, we have to understand what it means to be pure, not only externally, but pure in heart. And so let's look at what a pure heart is and isn't. Biblically, the heart is the center of our loves and desires. The heart is what we love with. And what we love dictates everything else in our lives. Our actions, our choices, our desires, our emotions, our thoughts, they all come out of what we love. Which means the heart as the the source of our loves, the center of our loves, is the control center for all of life, according to the Bible. It's what guides us in everything we do and say and think and feel. The heart is the control center for all of life. So when Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, he's not just talking about people who do everything right externally, no matter what they're thinking or feeling on the inside. He's talking about people who live out of a proper, a proper control center in their life. That their whole orientation to the world and towards God and towards other people is, is right. And purity, this idea of purity, it can mean ceremonially clean, When Jesus' original audience heard this, that's what they would have thought. But on a much more basic and fundamental level, it just means free of imperfection. Purity means free of imperfection. So if you take 24 karat gold, that is pure gold because there's nothing else besides gold in there. But if you take 14 or 18 karat gold, that's not pure gold because there's other things mixed in there to make it stronger and make it be able to hold up better to the things that it will contact in the world. Purity just means free of imperfection. And in some ways, being pure in heart, having that control center of our lives free of imperfection is similar to being ceremonially clean. So again, we saw you needed to be ceremonially clean to come into God's presence in the Old Testament. You also need a clean heart to come into God's presence. We just prayed through Psalm chapter 24. David said, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Even when he lived in the Old Testament time before Jesus, David said, if you want to come into God's presence, it's not enough to just be good on the outside. You need a heart that is right before God. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. If we want to see God, You have to be in God's presence to see him. If we want to see God and be in his presence, what do we need? A pure heart. So in some ways, being pure in heart or clean in heart is similar to ceremonial cleanliness because both are necessary to get into God's presence. But there's also big differences between the two. See, under the Old Testament law, being clean meant avoiding lots and lots of different situations in life. Right? We, we just said, if your wife is having her period and you want to stay ceremonially clean, you have to avoid touching her. You have to avoid sleeping in the same bed with her. If she sits on a chair, you can't sit on that chair. You have to avoid, 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 avoid. Under the Old Testament law, if you want to be clean, you can't eat pig or shellfish. 
How miserable is that? Just avoid all good foods. But keeping the law and staying clean was dependent on you doing lots of work so you could understand the rules and you could follow them. But like we said, purity of heart, it's about the heart behind the actions, not just what's happening on the outside. So for Christians, the New Testament gets rid of a lot of those requirements from the Old Testament. Like under the New Testament, women on their period are allowed to be at church on Sunday morning. Isn't that great news? <laughs> in, the, in the New Testament, all of those laws about foods that couldn't be eaten are taken away. Christians can now eat pigs and shellfish. Isn't that great news? Yes. More nods. Yes. Things that would have made you in the Old Testament unclean or even worse, gotten you excommunicated from Israel are now fine, totally acceptable and okay for Christians to do. Because the New Testament is clear that purity or cleanliness comes from inside us, from in our hearts, not from the things outside us. So in Titus chapter 1, verse 15, Paul says, to the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. To the pure, all things are pure. To the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Purity and impurity don't come from the things outside us if we have a pure heart. They come from our hearts. They come from how we interpret and interact with the world. True purity is internal, not external, which has huge implications for our lives. Huge implications. If purity comes primarily from avoiding certain circumstances, avoiding certain people or places or types of food, then when Jesus says right here, blessed are the pure in heart, what he would be calling us to is to live under a rock, right? Like, look at all the stuff out there that can defile you, that can make you impure. Stay away from it. Avoid it. It's like a big scary monster that's coming to get you. And you need to hide from it. That's more or less the approach the Pharisees took towards life in the Old Testament, right? There's so much out in the world that can mess me up, that can make me impure. The way to stay on God's good side is run away, hide from it, pretend it doesn't exist. But if nothing outside of us can make us clean, Jesus taught this in Mark chapter 7. Paul taught it in that verse we just looked at in Titus chapter 1. If nothing outside of us can make us unclean, and uncleanliness actually comes from inside of us, then there's no place that Christians are called to avoid. There's no people that Christians are called to shun. If purity and impurity come from inside us, not outside us, then there's no place that Christians are called to avoid and no people that Christians are called to shun. I mean, that's why Jesus hung out with prostitutes and tax collectors. The Pharisees looked at him and they're like, what are you doing? Don't you realize these are unclean people? They're going to make you unclean just by being in the same room as them. It was shocking to them. They thought Jesus was making himself totally unfit to be in God's presence by hanging out with these people. But because Jesus had a perfectly pure heart and cleanness comes from the inside, not the outside, he knew hanging out with these people cannot impact my cleanliness, my purity before God. Which means that for Christians, when Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, Jesus is not calling us to withdraw from the world, to avoid the broken people around you, to stay away from all the mess so that we can stay clean. That's not what he's saying here. He's calling us to have such a deep and secure connection to him 
He's calling us to have a heart free of impurity. So, so much so that we can face any circumstances, be around any people and still remain pure and faithful to him. He's not calling us to shun or avoid people. He's calling us to be so deeply connected to him, so free of other things that draw us away from him, that we can be anywhere, we can be around anyone, and we can still be completely focused on him. We can't be corrupted by them. And let me clarify, none of us has made it to this level of perfection yet. Jesus was able to hang out with prostitutes without being corrupted by them because he had a perfectly pure heart. If you struggle with sexual sin, like hanging out with prostitutes, probably still a bad idea for you. But not because the prostitutes themselves are going to make you unclean or impure. It's a bad idea for you because there's impurity in your heart that's going to be poisonous to you when you're in that context. The goal is perfect purity in our hearts. We're never going to get there in this lifetime. And so it's wise to be aware of of where our shortcomings are, of where our failures are, so that we don't lead ourselves into sin. But also the goal is that we'd be growing and, and becoming purer and cleaner in heart. So that increasingly we have a greater connection to Christ in whatever circumstances we face in life. Jesus is not saying it's, it's wrong for Christians to hang out with prostitutes. He, he's saying, if you hang out with a prostitute and there's impurity going on there, that comes from your heart, not from them. Because impurity, uncleanness comes from inside us, not from outside us. He's not calling us to shun or avoid anyone. He's actually trying to set us free so we can truly love God and love others. See, the Pharisees hear the laws about cleanness and uncleanness, and they think, God wants me to stay away. God wants me to avoid. God wants me to to hold my head up and just pretend that all these broken, messed up, unclean people don't exist. But when Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, he's he's actually calling us to get into the mess. He's calling us to love and engage with and show compassion to the broken people around us because we're becoming more and more deeply connected to God. And the heart of God is love for broken and messed up people. We can't be more connected with God. We can't be growing spiritually without growing in our love for others as well. And so that, that may just be a warning sign to look out for in your life. If you're trying to pursue purity of heart like Jesus is calling us to here, and that's leading you to withdraw from others, to care less about what's going on in their lives, to love them less, that's not actually true purity in heart. That's what the Pharisees were doing, that Jesus is actually teaching against. Now, does this way of living sound incredibly hard? like having such a secure connection to God that no matter what circumstances we face in life, no matter who we're around, we can just stay connected with him. We can't be drawn away. We can't be polluted or corrupted in any way, shape, or form. Sounds hard to me. Does it sound hard to you? Yeah. And there's a reason for that. By default, from birth, our hearts are not pure. Using Paul's words from that verse in Titus, chapter 1, verse 15, we're all born with hearts that are defiled and unbelieving. Because we're defiled and unbelieving in our hearts, we take the good things that God's made in the world and we see them through a defiled lens. And then that further defiles our hearts. It reinforces our unbelief. It, it, it actually creates this vicious sp- cycle where we're, we have this impurity in our hearts. It leads us to see the world a wrong way. We, we interpret the world wrongly, which leads to deeper unbelief in our hearts, which leads us to further see the r- world the wrong way. And we're just moving constantly downward. 
It's a vicious cycle. And, and if we're going to be free, we need God to do a miracle because we can't set ourselves free. So how do we become pure in heart? Because again, this is a problem too big for us to fix on our own. We're trapped in this cycle. We need a way out. The way out has to come from outside of us. See, when Jesus says in this verse, blessed are the pure in heart, he's calling us to something that we can't possibly produce on our own. Jesus is calling us to something we can't possibly produce on our own, which is bad news because don't we want to be able to just do it on our own? But it's good news because we don't have to carry that weight around of, of constant pressure to fix ourselves. But if we can't do it, how do we become pure in heart? And to answer that, we need to look at King David. Now, King David, uh, we just sang the song, Every Giant Will Fall. King David, one of the things he's most famous for is fighting the giant Goliath. As a young boy, he went out and he fought against this giant. King David, he was promised that he would become the king of Israel one day. And then the current king found out and wanted to kill David and chase him around for years. And David was just faithful to God. He trusted God. He refused to get angry. He refused to take revenge. He was a solid, good dude. To the extent that God himself looked at David and said, this is a man after my own heart. It's quite a compliment from God, right? But David also did some horrible stuff. He stole his neighbor's wife. He got her pregnant. He had his neighbor murdered to cover up what he had done. Doesn't that make you a little more thankful for the neighbors God has given you? He did some messed up stuff. And in the aftermath of that horrible, horrible series of bad choices and sin, David did some reflecting and praying. And one of the prayers he wrote during that time has been saved for us as Psalm chapter 51. And this whole psalm is a prayer for God to forgive David, to, to take away his guilt of, for what he had done and restore him. And look at what he says in verse 10. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Create in me a, a clean heart or a pure heart, same, same word in the Greek, and renew a right spirit within me. David wanted this pure heart that Jesus says brings blessing. And how did he see was the only way for him to get it? David, this man after God's own heart, the, the man that God himself looked at and was like, that's what I want everyone to be like. He looked at this idea of a, a pure heart and he said, I'm such a mess. The only way I can get this pure heart is for God himself to create it inside me. If David, the man after God's own heart, knew the only way for him to get a pure heart was for God to create it inside him, how much more do you and I need that? If we're going to have this pure heart that, that Jesus calls us to have, this heart, this control center for our lives, it's completely committed to God, free of impurity. The only way for us to get that is for God himself to give it to us. We can't purify our own hearts. We need God to give us pure hearts if we're going to have them. So is God willing to do that? Yes. And how does he do it? Well, through Jesus. If you look at the book of 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us or purify us, to make us clean and pure from all unrighteousness. 
God says step one of recognizing, of, of this process of getting a clean heart is like David recognizing we fall short again and again and again. Confess our sins. Bring that to him. Tell him, God, I, I don't have a clean heart. I can't get a clean heart through my effort. I need you to do something in me if I'm going to have this clean heart. But he says when we come to him, when we admit that we've fallen short, when we trust in Jesus and his death to pay the price for our guilt, that he's going to come in and he's going to purify us. He's going to make us clean. He's going to give us clean hearts in place of the defiled and unbelieving ones that we're born with. And all we have to do is recognize we've fallen short, recognize there's nothing we can do through our effort to get it, and come to God and say, I can't do it, but I know you can. And when we do, he's going to give us that clean and pure heart. Now to clarify, when we get that pure heart, does that mean we're, we're free, we never sin again, we never have any wrong thoughts again, we're, we're just perfect from then on? Absolutely not. No. Our natural inclination towards sin that we're born with is something we're born with, it's something we have to fight as long as we're alive, but the guilt is taken away. God is, is working to change us from the inside out. He sends his spirit to live in us to guide us into his new way of living, to change us, to free us from things like hatred and bitterness and unbelief and pride and to fill us with love and joy and peace and self-control. And we're never gonna make it perfectly in this lifetime. But for those who trust in Jesus, God is working in us each day to help us take another baby step in that direction. He's setting us on a trajectory so that when we get to eternity and we're given that pure heart once and for all, it's actually the logical, natural next step for us. It's not some jarring change of direction. He, he's pointing us in the direction, setting us on the trajectory that we're going to continue on for eternity. And as we grow in purity of heart, it's going to set us free to be more truly and fully ourselves in all our relationships. You know that thing where you're hanging out with one group of people and you act one way, and then you go hang out with another group of people and you act totally differently? and then you act totally different around a third group of people than you did around the first two? We've all experienced it. Hopefully, if we're older than our teenage years, we experience it less now than we did when we were teenagers, but it never really goes away, does it? We, we have this desire inside us to, to make the people around us happy with us. And so we have this natural tendency to pretend, to change who we are, to put on a different mask everywhere we go so that we can impress this group of people, and then in that group of people, and then that group of people. And we think each of them wants something different from us. But when we become pure in heart, God frees us to take off the masks. God makes us more single-minded in our relationships because he changes our focus. It's no longer the primary focus is how do I get this person to like me? The primary focus becomes God is pleased with me. He calls me to love these people. How do I love these people? We don't have to pretend anymore. Being pure in heart sets us free to be ourselves and love the people around us. We become single-minded because the impurities of all the different distractions of wanting to please this group and that group and that group and that group, they're taken away. And when our focus is on pleasing God rather than pleasing others, we don't have to act differently around every group. We can just be ourselves in God's presence, 
We can live free as a child of God, free to follow the lead of his Holy Spirit inside us. There's no more need to hide certain parts of who we are, to be ashamed, because God already knows the worst of you, and he loves you completely. Having a pure heart sets us free to stop pretending we're better or different than we really are. It frees us to be totally ourselves no matter who we're with. Doesn't that sound like an enviable way to live? Like not being so trapped by what you think other people want from you that you're constantly changing? Like Jesus knows what he's talking about when he says this is the path to a good life. And he also says there's a reward for those who live this way. So let's look at the promise to the pure in heart. And the promise is they shall see God. Remember at the start of the sermon, I said this beatitude starts with a loaded statement. Well, it ends with a loaded statement too. They shall see God. This is a well-documented desire in Jewish history that goes back to Moses. See, Moses, in the book of Exodus, the Israelites, they've been freed from slavery in Egypt. They're on their way to the promised land. And while Moses is up on the mountain getting the law from God, Israel rebels against God. And as a consequence for their rebellion, God says, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to send you guys up to the promised land. You're going to take it over. You're going to conquer the land. You're going to be able to live there in peace, but I'm not going with you. And Moses says, hold on, God. The whole point of you bringing us out of Egypt and bringing us into the promised land is for us to be your people, for you to be with us. You can't do this. And God says, okay, I will go with you. And Moses says, I need, I need a sign. I need some sort of guarantee from you that you're going to keep your word and do what you have promised. And as a sign, I want you to show me your glory. I want to see you. I want to see you exactly as you are. And God says, no, because no one can see me and live. And ever since that moment, the great dream for the followers of God has been to have that chance that Moses didn't get. The opportunity to, to see God as he truly is. So when Jesus says the pure in heart shall see God, he's making a huge promise that those who follow God in this way, who have pure hearts, they're going to get what was denied to Moses. What an incredible promise. We will see God. And later in the New Testament, John expands on this promise in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. He says, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. We will be like him because we will see him as he is. So check out what's happening here. We can't see God unless he purifies us. But when he purifies us, we see him. And then when we see him, we become more like him. It purifies us even more, which then allows us to see him even more clearly, which then makes us even more pure. That, that spiral from before has just been flipped upside down. God has changed it from a, a vicious cycle where everything is constantly getting worse to a virtuous cycle where each step feeds better and better progress in the next step. And there's a connection between having a pure heart and seeing God. The heart you can think of it kind of like a windshield in a car. If you're in a car and you have a clean, pure windshield, you can look out that windshield and you can see everything in the world around you exactly as it is. But what happens to windshields? They get dust and pollen on them. You drive down the road and bugs fly into it and just get splattered across the front of the windshield. 
Maybe the car in front of you is coming from a construction site and it kicks up mud that lands on your windshield. Maybe a rock hits your windshield and it cracks the windshield. Your, your clean windshield gets full of impurities. And each impurity makes it harder and harder to accurately see what's on the other side of the windshield. If you get enough impurities filling up your windshield, you can be staring directly at something on the other side and have no idea what it is. You can be staring directly towards something and get a totally wrong idea of what you're looking at. And it's the same with our hearts. Our hearts are meant to love God. They're meant to, to see God in a sense. But our hearts also get loaded with impurities. We doubt whether God's really good to us. So we look at circumstances in our lives where God is working for our good. Oh, but we don't see God there. We just see something to complain about because we can't see clearly. We've got impurities blocking our clear windshield. Maybe we fear that God's going to abandon us. And so we look at his faithfulness to us in the past. And rather than seeing God is faithful, he has been faithful, he will be faithful, we start to fear that he's just setting us up for a bigger letdown later on. The windshields of our hearts, they get covered with debris of unbelief and fear and doubt and shame. And when we try to look at God through such a debris-covered windshield, we're never going to see him properly. If we do see anything, we're either not going to see him at all, or we're going to see some part of him, but we're going to get it distorted. We can stare directly at him, and rather than see him as a loving father who wants to embrace us, we see him as a stern judge who wants us to be far from him. The impurity in our heart keeps us from knowing God as he is, keeps us from seeing God as he is, keeps us from loving God as he is, keeps us from responding to God properly in light of who he is. If we try to see God through an impure heart, it's going to destroy us because it's going to fill us with wrong images and lies of who God is that will further defile our hearts, further lead us away from him on a path towards death. The impurities in our hearts, they make us stare at God and see a monster to run from rather than a father to embrace. Only those with pure hearts can see God. But when we see him as he is, it gives us even more purity so we can see him even more clearly. It, it heals us, it fixes us, it changes us. And as with all the promises that we've looked at in the Beatitudes, this promise will happen in full in eternity. There will come a day for all Christians where we will stand in God's presence. We will see God face to face and we will be completely like him. We will made, be made completely pure forever. We will no longer be tempted to focus on things other than him or drawn away after impurities. But the promise also starts in part here and now. Through the eyes of faith, Christians here and now are able to see the fingerprints of God working in our lives and in our situations. We can see him at work. And there's three main areas where the eyes of faith are able to see God at work today. The first is in his works. So Romans chapter 8, verse 28, it teaches that God works all things together for good to those who love him. As we learn to live with this single focus on God, hearts free of impurities that draw us away from him, God's going to start to reveal some, not all, but some of the ways that he's working for good in our lives, in the circumstances we face each day, even the hardest ones. I was talking with someone this week. They've been going through a tough season in life. They've been wondering, God, what is your plan for me in this season? But as they've gone through this tough season, 
they've been really intentional about trying to stay faithful to God, trying to serve their family, trying to get involved in ministry as much as they can. And finally, this past week, they started to feel like they're having a little more clarity on what God has for them next. And that's given them perspective to look back over this past very difficult season and say, I think I can understand what God was doing here. I think I can see how even though this was a really, really tough time, God's been using me and preparing me so that when I step into whatever is next, I'm more ready for it than I would have been if I hadn't been through this hard time. As this person sought to live purely before God, it became clear to them that God was working in the circumstances of their life, and they were able to see God at work. As we learn to live with pure hearts, we learn to see God working in our lives. Second, we see God in his word. A non-Christian can read the Bible, and they can read it, and they can see it as nothing more than words on a page. Cool stories, maybe nice to know, some good lessons about life, but nothing more. But as Christians who know God and love God and are learning to live with pure hearts, we can see more and more clearly that this book has words of life directly from God. Words teaching us how to live, how to know God. We can hear God speaking and see more clearly who he is through this book. And then third, we see God in his son. The more our hearts are purified, the more we learn to live with these pure hearts, the more we recognize Jesus was not just a good man. He was not just a good moral teacher. He was God in human flesh. As Christians, sometimes there's this this thought that goes through our heads of like, what would it look like if God actually lived in our world? As we learn to live with pure hearts and recognize Jesus truly is God in human flesh, we get the answer to that question because all we have to do is flip open to the Bible and look at what Jesus did when he lived in our world. We can see God living in our world through the person of Jesus by faith as we learn to live with pure hearts. And as we see God more clearly through his work and his word and his son, it's going to fill us with hope and joy and faith and love. It's going to cause us to have greater faith in him. It's going to purify us even more. That virtuous cycle, it starts here and now. It's never going to be perfectly completed here and now, but it starts right here, right now. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This pure heart, it's not something we can earn for ourselves. It's a gift from God, but it's one he's glad to give us because he loves us. And as we become more pure, we we more clearly see God working around us in the world, and that purifies us even more until we see him face to face one day. We become like him because we see him as he is. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let's pray. God, again, we thank you for teaching us the path to true blessing. We thank you that you remember our frame, that we are but dust. You remember our weakness. You remember our failings, not as something you can use against us, but as something that draws you to us in compassion so that you can lift us up and show us your amazing love so that you can do for us what we're too weak, too incapable to do for ourselves. And God, I pray that this week you would remind us again there's nothing we can do to get these pure hearts, but you're more than willing to give it to us as a free, generous, amazing gift. So teach us to come to you for these pure hearts. Teach us to to seek to see you at work in our world. Teach us to see you clearly so that we can know you more deeply and run to you even more quickly in the situations that we face in life. Teach us to love you and love others. In Jesus' name, amen.